Hello, and welcome to the Tarot to Go radio podcast. I'm Anastasia Hazler. Here with me today, Rose Red. Hello, everyone. And Andrew. Hello. Our engineer, Christoph, waving from behind his board. And our very special guest, Dr. Art Rosengarten. Welcome, Art. Welcome. Oh, thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday to chat with us. Um, I know it's not a typical Saturday morning activity, but we really appreciate it. And um, for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with Art's work, um, I highly encourage you to become familiar. Um, Dr. Art created the Tarot of the Nine Paths, or I guess technically Rosengarten's Tarot of the Nine Paths, and also um, has written books on tarot. Um, Art, you're also a practicing Buddhist Jungian psychologist. Just a therapist. Therapist, okay. <laughs> it's a Tabugian. Um, a Tabugian, a tarot-based Buddhist Jungian. Yes. Tabugian. Yes, which, which <laughs> first time I saw that, I, I tried to look up the word. I'm like, I can't find this in any of my dictionaries. Yeah, and right. that's yeah. because it's it's not in the dictionary. I made it up. Uh, but it's great, and I, I think it um, nicely encompasses your approach to your work. And um, so where should we start? Do you, do you want to start with your deck? As I'm holding it here in my hands. Well, my, yeah, we can start with my deck, which was uh, published in November with uh, Paragon House. And it's a unique deck in that it was created out of uh, sand play miniatures mm-hmm. um, in Jungian sand play, which is an interesting technique in and of itself related to tarot. It's kind of like three-dimensional tarot images. That uh, as a therapist, I I sometimes use uh, sand play as a technique in psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it would be a great um, way to build a, a a deck more through the miniatures of this collection of hundreds and hundreds of objects, people, things, symbols, profane, sacred images, etc. And so. Mm-hmm. Tower of the Nine Paths is a deck made out of scenes in the scenes in the box. We said, <laughs> and play, and it's a deck that um, is just a major arcana, but it was really a uh, vehicle to uh, expand the major arcana by five cards. Which, after after studying the trumps for many years, I came to the conclusion that the the majors were incomplete, that mm-hmm. there should be really three rows of nine cards, not two and a half rows of nine cards, or <laughs> right. where the trumps end at 22, and the kind of the, the third row doesn't really finish and doesn't really make that much intuitive sense. Mm-hmm. So this was a vehicle for me to create a deck and then look at the internal relationships of the, of the major arcana, uh, seeing it as, like in Tarot Constellations, you're seeing it as um, really uh, nine nine rows uh, of, of three cards. Mm-hmm. And um, then just looking at the logic between the cards, for instance, in the first path, there's the magician, and then you see, uh, you add nine to that, and you go down to the, uh, you know, the, the uh, Wheel of Fortune. Um, and then... You add nine again, you get to the sun. Mm -hmm. There's a certain logic between those three cards. So with that basic idea, I sort of completed the major arcana so that uh, we don't stop at the world card. So there's five (laughs) additional cards that come after the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the idea behind Tarot of the Nine Pets. Mm -hmm. Well, because I remember, I think it was the L.A. Tarot Symposium in 2003. Four, two thousand three, yeah. and um, you presented your deck. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was like its 
debut publicly. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and you did this great presentation on it. And a number of people in the room were really surprised that you had made up new cards. Right. And, you know, my response is, well, once upon a time, somebody made up the original set of cards. So why not continue that? It's traditional to make up new cards. The question is, are, were they made up or were they discovered? Right. Um, is, it, is it someone that's consciously sat down and said, here's an interesting idea for a tarot card. Why don't we have, you know, the whatever, you know, the, the moon, that mm -hmm. would be an interesting card. Mm -hmm. Or is it that uh, many people um, discovered in their own deep unconscious uh, certain types of dream images or symbols that were consistent and, and people had in common that had uh, certain feelings and meanings and uh, qualities that all seemed to constellate around this general theme of the moon mm -hmm. and it were these you know we, we call these the archetypes mm -hmm. so um in a way they the trumps particularly the, of the tarot are a collection of what we could call the archetypes of transformation mm -hmm. all of those kind of universal themes that were about transforming consciousness there's you know a number of different core symbols like that um and uh, really, though, there, uh, you know, in my, in my kind of explorations, there was kind of a story that was being told inside the major arcana that if, as you move into one of these archetypes, there are certain questions and challenges that the card reveals that lends itself more naturally to, uh, you know, one step up on the... Uh, evolutionary dance. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a there's a, there's a sense that these cards are interconnected. Right. And so that's yeah. essentially so the, the five cards that I added they um, they were really already they were inferred by the logic that was already in the in the system. Mm -hmm. And it was just it wasn't that hard once you kind of could decode this certain logic from you know the three pa uh, three levels mm -hmm. uh, three tiers that the the final tier was was fairly easy to infer once you figured out how the other ones were stacked up right well it's it's because one of the things i like about your deck um you know it is three rows of nine but then you've got the nine columns of three yes. and you structured as departure transfer arrival yes and I think that's a really helpful way to look at the cards because a lot of people do the, you know, lay the cards out in rows or add a specific number and, and see what those triads reveal. Um, but like you said, it's it's when you do that, that last half row is missing and what do you do with those cards that are only in twos? Um, and it's like, well, you know, this is, you know, this is the physical self and this is the mental self and this is the spiritual self or, you know, however you want to put it. Any triad. That's right. Yeah. That middle row that we all love so much in the tarot <laughs> with, you know, with, the, with the death and the devil and the, and the, the moon and the mm -hmm. hanged man, all of those. The tower. It, it really, um, it really come alive in this context as being that transitional uh, phase mm -hmm. between kind of the primary and the final, mm -hmm. uh, that middle phase now gets, uh, I think, more context. Mm -hmm. Well, also for, for cards, you know, because 
the, that middle row contains a lot of the difficult cards um, yeah. for people who don't go with negative cards and you know however you want to phrase it. Um, right. But I think calling them the transitional cards yeah. um, really recast them in a light that makes them a lot more usable yeah. and a lot more accessible, particularly to people who aren't familiar with tarot. And the first time somebody sits down for a reading and they get the hanged man in the tower, yep. and they're like, okay, this is weird and I don't understand this at all. <laughs> but if you talk about it in terms of transitions, it makes it a lot more Absolutely. accessible for them and it puts it in a way that they can understand because they're not steeped in Jungian archetypes. They're not steeped in esoteric tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, They're having problems at work or they're having problems in their relationship and they're looking for some answers and some insight. Well, that's totally right. And um, the thing is we're living in such... Uh, you know, middle row times. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it, we're we're so much in the, you know, the the death card and the devil and the hanged man times. I mean, things are are in a very very transitional. Mm-hmm. The the tower card, things are, um, in a way, changing rapidly. There's a lot of uncertainty and confusion and challenge mm-hmm. in just the times we live in, and so it shouldn't really be that much of a mystery when these big powerful themes come up in, in readings because it's it's not necessarily operating personally mm-hmm. but it's operating collectively just in the world that we we all are going through right now mm-hmm. and as much as you might want to you cannot seal yourself off from the collective consciousness that's right, that's right. <laughs> there are days believe me well in, on my um, discussion group tarot psych we a recent exercise that we've been playing with is um, Viewing uh, readings from uh, four levels, the, the four Jungian levels, that being um, the outer eye and the inner eye, that's uh, the letter I, the me, mm-hmm. and the outer not I and the inner not I. Interesting. So it's very interesting. It's really work that's come out of a, of a Jungian analyst named um, Esther Harding, mm-hmm. but it's very interesting applied to tarot readings, because um, all four of those levels, I think, are operating simultaneously, but it, it really speaks to how we want to come in on a particular card or reading. You know, are we talking about the outer eye, which is, you know, the persona, you know, and, and who you and I are in our everyday lives and our families and our work and our bodies and our kind of ordinary lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Is that what this reading is about? Is it talking about, you know, the outer eye or, which is more common, or is it talking about really none of that kind of outer appearance but more the inner eye, mm-hmm. you know, how I'm really feeling and what I'm really experiencing, what what inner processes I'm working out, the mm-hmm. meaning of my life, and the you know the pressures that are going on in my 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 real experience un, underneath the persona that everybody sees, mm-hmm. and that that maybe that's where the tarot cards are coming alive, and what they're really speaking to is the is the inner eye, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Anastasia or art or whatever, my mm-hmm. inner world. Well, that's the second level. But then there's the you know the third level, which could be called the um, outer not I or the collective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not really referring to you or I the person, but it's talking about the times we're living in. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in a way, that's what that's what we're talking about in the conversation is that a lot of our readings we ask these kind of personal questions uh, about the you know the inner or the outer eye, and we get these 
um, collective answers that are really saying, well, I, I can't really tell you about you specifically, the cards are saying, but really this is what's going on in, the, in, uh, in this time, in mm-hmm. this age, in this mm-hmm. world right now. And that's the level that the cards may be speaking on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that does sound uh, very interesting because a lot of times the questions that we answer for people is, how do I fit into this? What's my role? Why don't, you know, what's the big picture that's going on? And they can't see that that aspect of the community and, right. and the role that they're playing in it right. and that they need that kind of guidance and that's the kind of wisdom that they're looking for. So that's a, that's a fascinating way to start looking at doing tarot readings. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And then, and then there's the fourth level, which is the, um, the inner not I, and that's the archetypal level. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and I think tarot, tarot often work on that level too, and that's really, we, we, we may ask a question about the personal eye, but the, really the, the level that the tarot reading is taking place is all on the, an inner collective level. That's the archetypes. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's you know, the, all that alchemical, metaphysical, esoteric language and operations that are going on in this reading. And you, know, you just wanted to know if, you know, you should ask for a raise. <laughs> You're getting all this incredible information. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be confusing, uh, really, for some people that aren't able to kind of switch level. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's what, um, I think that, that's a way for becoming more skillful as a practitioner or a reader, whatever, um, is to have that uh, adaptability and flexibility to. Uh, hone in on on one or more levels and be able to differentiate, you know, what level the the, the readings are operating on. It mm-hmm. makes it more interesting that way. Yeah. Well, it's, it's um, I I know some people who are in some kind of psychotherapy or healing profession, um, who also do tarot. Um, they don't mix them very often. Right. Um, you know that that's you know it's like well I think my clients would think it was too weird. Right. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe not. You know, I don't know their clients and it's not my practice, so I'm not going to. Um, but for you, because um, you bring the tarot in, correct? You know, I struggle with that, the same questions that, uh, uh, that you just mentioned. Uh-huh. It is, you know, part of it is it's not, it's, it's more on the cultural level. And, uh, you know, there's different times in, in the culture and where you are where the question of, is the tarot um, a kind of a, a valid and, and legitimate tool, or is it too weird? Right. And so that changes with uh, the times we're living in and also the type of, of individual that I'm working with. Some mm-hmm. people, it's an, easy, it's an easy jump. Some people, it's, mm, they're open to it, and they, that usually goes well. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some people that, frankly, in, in psychotherapy, just love to talk so darn much <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you know we don't even get time to get around to tarot because you know there's there's just too much to talk about to kind of work it through through the talking cure which is a wonderful treatment really mm-hmm. so it's like that yeah uh, it's it's well because uh, i think um in some ways it might be more challenging if you have a client who is familiar with tarot and who works with tarot on their own um, yeah. because then, you know, cause on, on one hand it might make it easier because they're familiar with it. They understand the terms and the concepts. Um, on the other hand, they might have some very set ideas about it. Yeah. 
which absolutely. might be a little challenging to work with. Well, that's yeah, absolutely, and that's fantastic, and it, it does happen, and has happened many, many times. Mm-hmm. That uh, people, uh, often therapists or people that uh, frankly know the limits of psychotherapy, that are really wanting to do some work, and they say, "Look, uh, can we use the cards? I already know what therapy can and can't do, but I, I really want to get some real stuff. Mm-hmm. Know, I want to go underneath all of that." Mm-hmm. Uh, psychology and mm-hmm. see what's coming out on a deeper level more from uh, what's rising of its own accord or what's what's happening more on the, in a deeper process. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And so uh, a lot of times you get that. Mm-hmm. Also, um, uh, group therapy, and I do quite a bit of group therapy, uh, the tarot um, is interesting in group therapy, uh, not, you know, the way I do it, because my style as a therapist, which is fairly conservative and uh, non-directive, mm-hmm. um, I'm careful not to overdo or over-introduce the tarot, but rather look for certain uh, sweet spots or hot points or whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. where there's, a, a, there's like a pause in the conversation. Mm-hmm. We may be talking about something, and there's emotions that you know you can see that are starting to hit the surface, and um, a person kind of stops talking because they're now accessing something very powerful inside of themselves. Mm-hmm. And really, that's the you know for a therapist, that's kind of the moment that you're really wanting to you know help co-create or generate or mm-hmm. get right. So when you when you get to those moments. Um, and in, in group, it's it's very powerful because we all can kind of share that together. We can feel a person's process there. It's, mm-hmm. it's very palpable in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I will um, basically uh, tr- uh, kind of create the space where they may you know spontaneously connect to the feelings that are are going on there and what their own insides are telling them or what. You know what the what what the insight is that's arising mm-hmm. in that moment, and then I reinforce it by having them select a card, mm-hmm. and so and just trusting the synchronicity of that moment will, in some way, whatever they pick, in in some way is going to mark, and open and mirror and uh, forward in in some way that very powerful moment in their own process mm-hmm. and it and it you know it never of course with the tarot it it never fails you know it never, oh, never. <laughs> it, uh, it, in surprising it, it, ways because yeah. yeah. um, I know sometimes um, when I'm doing a reading for somebody and when the cards you know you pull up and you say okay you know this represents you right now and you know it's a powerful strong card and it may have negative kind of you know mm. you know tower comes up in the self position and people are reluctant to identify with a card or to claim that because it's like, oh, well, it's just about destruction. It's like, well, destruction isn't always bad. And properly channeled, destructive energy actually unleashes a lot of creativity. Um, so I, I think probably with your, your therapy process, you can kind of guide that more expertly. Well, that's right. And we have to be careful to you know bring our own kind of interpretation onto the card when the, when the first thought for, of the client is um, really it may be a, a really positive, meaningful thing, and we, we may assume 
that you know they're disappointed or they're having a negative take on on what that card is and typically they're saying inside themselves oh yeah you know mm-hmm. <laughs> right i know exactly what that what's going on with that mm-hmm. right yeah you know i was, I was once uh I was once reading uh with a group of readers at a huge uh, new year's eve party a fancy new year's eve party in palm springs of all places oh my mm-hmm. um and it, it was great for the readers. Everyone had their own tent inside this very elegant restaurant. It was wow. a high affair. It was one of those. Nice was a lot setup. Of fun, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had this one gentleman in there um, with his tuxedo on, and we're doing a reading. And he was he was kind of glib about what was going on in his life. He just asked for a New Year's reading, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm doing a regular, you know. Uh, Celtic Cross spread with him, and it's going fine. And finally, I get to uh, the final card, and, and I say, and, um, you know, the theme that will be most meaningful for you in the coming year is, and I turned over the card, and there was the fool. Okay. <laughs> which, is, which is fine. You know, we enjoy that, and we all love the fool. We know how to work with the fool. But what was interesting was, was, was you know, there was this little kind of smile forming on this on this gentleman's face and mm-hmm. obviously you know he's, he's kind of quiet and there's this little grin and so I was, I was fascinated and I said to him you know this is really interesting but I'm I'm just curious to know uh, what it is that you do for a living because uh, your response is really interesting he said oh I'm a brain surgeon <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> wow! So, so it gives you pause for thought. You know how mm-hmm. people process these these symbols. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, huh. But you know, for an, for a New Year's reading, that's terrifically auspicious. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, um, so I um, it's it, it's I remember it's I tried to find my notes from the lats where you introduced this and. Um, this is the problem with compulsively keeping one's notebooks is one has a lot of notebooks to go through. Oh my <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I didn't find the actual, um, my actual notes, which is kind of disappointing because I was hoping to like recapture my initial response. Oh yeah. Um, but, oh well. Um, but I, the, the, the additional cards, um, that you created, I remember you talking about the process of doing that. Yeah. And because um, you know the you know the the traditional tarot stops at the world, right. and then you've come up with these additional cards, mm-hmm. um, which by the way I have the original set that you had okay. created, um, except that somebody ran off with my wheel of fortune card. I'm really bummed. Um, yeah, of all the ones, <laughs> so I'll just have to order a new deck, yeah. um, and you know keep this as my collector's edition. Um, but there's the well, the river, the ring, the dragon, and the great web. That's right. Um, now, I'm, I'm kind of amused about the great web because, of right. course, anytime you say web now, people immediately think of the Internet. Well, you know, and that's <laughs> part of it because it is one of those uh, new paradigms of our time that I think, in a way, it, it's the archetype that, that, you know, the Internet is subsumed under this, you know, infinitely large archetype of of the great web which is uh, really a symbol of um, interdependency mm-hmm. interconnectivity mm-hmm. Uh, in in my deck i use a word that was actually one of these uh, created words by the great um, 
Vietnamese uh, Zen Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh, mm-hmm. and his, the word that he uses for this principle is interbeing. Yes. And it's a lovely word, and it, it's kind of like uh, mutual co-arising, they call that in Buddhism, mm-hmm. and that interdependency, interconnection, and that's what the web, I think, is, um, and it's it becomes the final trump in my deck before uh, the fool, which I just pushed down to the very end, as, it, as I believe it should be, because it's the end and beginning. It's mm-hmm. zero. So in the Tower of the Nine Paths, uh, my deck, the, um, that new third row uh, of, of the Major Arcana, which you know, begins with the sun, because you know, the sun and then judgment in the world, as it does traditionally, and then the five new cards follow the world, and that's the well, which is an agent of uh, renewal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the river, which is, and it has these key words underneath, the, as you know, underneath the title of the card, which I uh, gave, uh, I call it the river, which is an agent of flow. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, the ring, which is an agent of wholeness. Um, the dragon, which I see as an agent of initiation, mm-hmm. this is um, transpersonal initiation, and then finally uh, the great web, which is an agent of interbeing. Now, the the um, one of the internal tests of the major arcana has always been, for instance, uh, to, to demonstrate how it really was designed to be three rows of nine, as I see it, um, is the. Uh, you know, the, the lovers, which is Trump's six, and right below it is the devil. Mm-hmm. And you see those same two angelic masculine feminine yep. figures now uh, first, you know, separated by, by an angel and then separated by a devil right below it. You can mm-hmm. see there's, a, there's an obvious interconnection between the, the uh, six and the 15, mm-hmm. right? Um, like all these cards, um, they're all separated by nine. Mm-hmm. Well, the hermit effect, which is the principle of individuation, symbolized by the hermit, but the number nine is a magic, magical number in that it has both mathematical and symbolic principles that uh, really uh, are at the really underlie all of the major arcana. The whole thing is really, I think, based on the principle of nine mm-hmm. major arcana, which I call the hermit effect, and in, in more the Jungian sense of uh, individuation, the hermit of individuation, the mm-hmm. process of you know, finding one's own true natural way and being true to that. That's really what the, the deck and the, I, I think the tarot is really about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, with the, with the uh, lovers, giving way, you know, plus nine to the devil, which mm-hmm. we see in tarot constellations. You know, you add nine to the six, and you get 15, the mm-hmm. devil. Then you add nine again, okay, and you get, um, you know, 24 mm-hmm. in that particular line, which is the ring. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have union, you know, the lovers is union, giving way to separation, the devil, and then synthesizing in that arrival space in wholeness. Mm-hmm. So that's the basic kind of logic that we see throughout the major arcana. We kind of we start with the arrival. I mean, we start with the departure. The kind mm-hmm. of you know the the 
archetypal place where a uh, beginning of a certain path of realization, um, union in the lover's card. Mm-hmm. And then we go to that middle phase where there's a tremendous shadow challenge in each one of these pathways. In this case, it, it is the devil, which is an agent of separation. So that's, you know, that's classic. You know, it's like the, the knights, you know, going into the forest, at, uh, uh, you know, the darkest part of the forest alone, and conquering and, and confronting, you know, the collective shadow um, of the dragon or the, the test, which mm-hmm. is, is like the devil, and then resolving that uh, crisis um, with some kind of wholeness or some kind of completion. That basic threefold process really exists in all nine of the paths mm-hmm. with a different kind of flavor. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's how that works. Yeah. No, it, it, and it's a really interesting way to look at the cards, even taking this and applying it to other decks. They don't have the 27, so it's like, well, how do you fill out those rows? Um, and it's like, well, what is, you know, kind of the natural conclusion of the arc? You know, it's because, um, like, for example, um, if you start with eight, which um, you, you have uh, eight is strength, um, you know, some people always play with the eight and the 11. Um, so, you know, it goes strength. And then you add the nine, it goes 17 and star in a traditional tarot. There's no place for it to go after that. So how would you fill it in on a traditional deck? And and the keywords that I use under each one, um, which I call its agency really reveals, um, the S the kind of uh, umbrella concept behind a particular card. So with the strength Mm -hmm. card, I see that as an agent of uh, life force. Mm-hmm. We call it chi. Mm-hmm. We call it vitality or energy on that level. So then we, we raise it up by nine and we get to the star. And um, the, the key word for the star I see as essence. Mm-hmm. So this is like deep healing. This is, this is about energetic healing, mm-hmm. really. Is what I think what the tarot is revealing is this is the path of tapping into you know, the chi energy, a deep healing uh, uh, energy like yogas do, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's Chinese medicine, etc. And, um, and the star is tapping into that universal, essential uh, stream of energy. And then from, from that, out of that kind of washing of uh, pure uh, healing, from that place, the next initiation plus nine, you know, add the hermit effect, mm-hmm. that is what brings you to the great web, mm-hmm. interbeing. So there's a sense of now it's like this uh, cosmic interconnection where everything is a part of, of everything energetically through this, you know, this healing channel. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the nine paths. Mm-hmm. It really invokes in my mind uh, the, yeah. the concept of empathy and being able to connect to another person simply by projecting yourself into them in their position. And uh, you can't heal somebody without understanding them, about knowing what's wrong, without being able to connect to them. Exactly, exactly. And, yeah, that, that empathy kind of bringing you into this, this, this level uh, where you and I are no different, mm-hmm. kind of drop out of our individual ego differences, and we're just connecting to that you know, that stream of consciousness together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
Um, so could you talk a little bit about the dragon card? Because um, I, I, I remember when um, you, know, you, you were first talking about these ideas, and I was like, well, huh, interesting. Um, particularly since um, you say it's the emerging archetype of finality, um, but it's not the final card. Well, the, all of these five cards are um, uh, the uh, archetypes of finality. Um, these five com- finals are the completion cards, which are, in a way, correspond to the five Hebrew finals, which give them the Kabbalistic connection. But finality is an interesting concept in and of, in and of itself. It's a Jungian concept, mm-hmm. and it um, is about, really, it's about... Uh, a predetermined sense of completion or um, intelliki where, um, you know, it's uh, acorn to oak, and the, the oak is like the fi- finality stage of a process that was predetermined by the acorn. Mm-hmm. So in the dragon card, which is the completion phase of the oak tree of um, path seven, mm-hmm. which is the, the chariot, to the tower, to the dragon. Mm. Okay. A very challenging. <laughs> it is. And, wow. Um, it's it, it's it's interesting in that it it doesn't it resolve it doesn't resolve in a warm and fuzzy. It kind of resolves <laughs> in the dragon, right? And my understanding of that, you know, who was uh, numerologically who was on this path was uh, Joseph Campbell. That was wow. very much Joseph Campbell's path. Mm-hmm. People that are sevens, for instance have this kind of karma, Mm -hmm. but there's a sense of um, quest, and then, you know, you're on the path, the hero's quest goes into a place of, uh, you know, war and destructivity and deconstruction that that is the tower. Mm -hmm. It's a huge challenge to passage psychologically through the uh, challenge of the Power, which means to uh, direct the mind to a place of uh, safety mm-hmm. in a place of time of chaos and upheaval. It's to very quickly and radically transport uh, your oneself to the other side. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a radical demand of uh, transformation. But in this deck, now it's kind of paradoxical because the the next phase of the individuation process brought by the what I call the hermit, hermit effect, or plus nine, mm-hmm. is then, where does that take you? It takes you to the dragon. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you thought dealing with the externals was difficult. Now you get to deal with the internals. Well, you yeah. know what the image I, I had when I was doing that was, I don't know if you've ever seen that wonderful uh, movie or read the book, uh, The Never-Ending Story. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yes. Okay. And it's like when um, Matreyu was was, you know, taken out to the, had to go through those gates or the pillars outside of civilization, mm-hmm. and he had to pass through the gates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Sphinx. Those are the gates of the, the, uh, that the dragon guards. Mm-hmm. And passing through that, and I see that as the final initiation into, um, really, we could say, becoming a cosmic citizen. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a confrontation, not with the personal shadow, but with the collective shadow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is, um, in a way, this is the last and, and most difficult step. Uh, and this is, you know, Jung talked about beneath the personal 
shadow. We all have our own fear vulnerability points uh, based on our personal psychology. But um, beneath that, there are co- there's a collective evil or collective shadow, which is innate to the whole human family, mm-hmm. that there are certain very deep collective fears in the psyche that in the, on the path of transformation ultimately need to be passed through. These are kind of collective shadow challenges. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, so the dragon card represents that initiation through those gates, as I see it. Mm-hmm. And that is a kind of stepping into the, uh, the final transcendence on the, uh, basically on the, on the tarot path of through, through the dragon to the other side there. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so uh, what happens after that is the fool card. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the, the higher initiation that um, really I don't, I don't know that that was in the major arcana before this deck uh, quite mm-hmm. that vein. Yeah, because no, um, it, it's, um, it's a, you know, spent some time working with your deck. Um, you know, when I first got it, it was like, wow, this is completely different and kind of submerged myself in it for a while. Great. Um, well, it's, it's, I like the approach. Um, I've always been fascinated by psychology. Um, in high school, my psychology teacher encouraged me to become a psychotherapist. Yeah. Um, I had other ideas. You know, I was 16. You have other ideas when you're 16. Um, and now, in, in, you know, at one point in my life, I actually was thinking about it and then I got distracted and yeah, never quite got around to it. Um, but I'm fascinated by the psychology. You know, taken a lot of classes, done a lot of research, this and that. Sure. And I just love the way that you incorporate all of this in kind of a demystifying way. Mm-hmm. That it still carries its meaning, its relevance, but it's not all kind of out there and conceptual. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I think it's really helpful, um, particularly when reading for people who are going through some kind of difficult passage, even if it's a positive passage. Um, there's still difficulties, there's still fear, you know, even the most exciting change still brings some fear, still brings some concern in that, um, you know, that one last moment before you jump into it and you say, no, 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 I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go. Um, (laughs) I I think that my work, uh, you know, over decades really has been to try and bridge these two related fields of tarot and psychology. And I've, I've always felt that certainly, um, you know, the psychologists have a lot to learn from the tarotists and from tarot and what tarot brings to the psychological conversation mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. That uh, the tarotists, that the psychology um, offers a lot of really useful things to tarot people because um, psychology uh, has done particularly well at um, understanding psychopathology mm-hmm. and some of that, which I think just adds to the tarot readers, you know, understanding when they, when they work with synchronicity and symbols. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also, you know, in a tarot reading, you're not going to use a word like psychopathology. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, but talking about, talking to people about their inner demons or their internal blocks. Well, that, and that's a way, lot. Psychotherapy, you're not talking about psychopathology either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, you don't want to label the client. Um, but I, I think it helps make it accessible to people who would be resistant to hearing it in psychological terms. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an image on a card. They don't, ha- you know, there's this detachment of they don't have to take it seriously if they don't want to. Whereas if they have, you know, a professional psychologist telling them, you know, blah, 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 then they, you know, some part of them saying, oh, well, I have to accept that as the truth. Well, 
Um, yeah, the first place, um, a lot's happened in the last 10 years in the culture where I, I think there's a lot of people out there where, who are very receptive to tarot mm-hmm. at this point, that, and particularly women. Um, what I see is women uh, who are typically 40 or over who <laughs> have had a lot of experience and read quite a bit of uh, self-help books and have been through a lot of their life learning, mm-hmm. that when you start just talking about you know tarot and symbols, it's a, they get it pretty quickly. They're mm-hmm. not... It's not a hard sell. No. With, with, with males, particularly, who are, who are very in, in large in the system, that, or people who have strong religious backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, there I don't even bother to try and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. open that up unless, you know, it seems real obvious. And, mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, the tarot and psychology are, are very similar in many ways. Uh, if you particularly when you're reading in the present moment mm-hmm. and you're looking, uh, uh, you're not giving recipes. You're not saying <laughs> this means that. You're not uh-huh. reducing right. interpretations too heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, if, it's, if, it's, if it's speaking to them, now you have a picture that people are actually looking at that can help to identify a lot of emotions, and that's very useful. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it's because one of the things that I think, you know, a, a, a very clear overlap between tarot and psychology is it's not about you as the reader or you as the therapist. It's about the client. Absolutely. And so what does it mean to the client? What does it suggest to the client? Um, because, you know, I know what I think the card means, but it's not my reading. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, asking the client, what does this mean to you? And, um, and you know, it's kind of the whole point of therapy is what does it mean to the client? I, th- I think Mary uh, Greer did a, a wonderful job when she, uh, in one of her books, talked about, um, you know, four different styles of tarot reading, mm-hmm. one of which is the uh, therapeutic style of tarot reading, which is basically akin to the client-centered, humanistic, or Rogerian style of doing psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say many, many therapists out there still recognize as probably the most humane and kind of basic way of being a therapist. And what that is, is um, uh, understanding that what's most important is not so much interpretation, but uh, connection with, in the present moment, with the client, honoring their own experience, mm-hmm. their own insight, and really seeing that it's more valuable for, to help them get closer in touch with who they are mm-hmm. and releasing their own emotions than to give some kind of uh, really nifty interpretation about <laughs> why they are the way they are. Mm-hmm. So um, in, in that sense, for a reader, you know, you can pretty much give up interpretations altogether and uh, you know, as a therapeutic tarot reader, you can take out you know some cards, and when a person turns over a card, you 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 might say, "How does that card make you feel?" Mm-hmm. Um, or what is that saying to you right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's you know because it's it's very helpful and it gets the client more involved, and also frankly, sometimes as a reader, you get stuck. Absolutely. You turn over a card and you're like, I have no idea what this is about. That's right. Um, and so it's an opportunity for you to practice your 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 connection with there's, the client and say... There's, there's a great question that when you, when you learn how to administer the Rorschach test mm-hmm. and you're trained in a method called the uh, Exnerian 
technique, mm-hmm. standard, that when you show a, a Rorschach, which is very different than a tarot, but they're similar, in the mm-hmm. case, um, you say, uh, you know, you ask the question, what might this be? Mm-hmm. Not what do you think this is, mm-hmm. or what do you see in this, mm-hmm. but what might this be? Which is a very elegant way of actually framing that open-ended question. I that, like that. Mm-hmm. That lends a person to really start to project onto it, start to you know relate to it, start to communicate. Mm-hmm. And when when they uh, you know when they make a connection and they share what that is. Then the, the follow-up question that, that you're trained as an as a exonarian is, what about that looks like that? Hmm. So they may say, well, I think it might, you know, the sun, they might say, well, I think it might be about um, getting in touch with joy and freedom and the inner child. That's what it is. Yeah, I think it might be. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, what about that card looks like that? Mm-hmm. And so they say, well, that naked child on the on the horse. Mm-hmm. And so now that's not necessarily the end of the um, interpretation there, but you're now beginning to get the client more involved mm-hmm. in the card and in the reading. So they're no they're shifting from this kind of passive stance where now the reader is going to tell them about their future or whatever it is, about their fortune, <laughs> where they, they are now participating in the exploration, which I think is a much better way of going. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. well, you know, I, I can make all the connections in the world from an intellectual point of view or from my intuition, but until the client makes their own connections, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, because they'll, they'll, come, they'll come away and say, boy, it was a great reading, and the reader really said some fascinating things, and I can't remember what they said, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll listen to the tape, and, and it's kind of lost. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's like, no, they, they, have to, they have to go through their own process. They have to have that mental right. realization and make that emotional connection. That's right. Um, which, you know, in a 15-minute reading is challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in a 50-minute psychotherapy session, it's challenging. <laughs> but in a 15-minute reading, it's like, because people go, oh, I want a bunch of cards in my reading. It's like we have 15 minutes. We're, we're lucky to get three cards in. Well, you know, I'm a big proponent of short readings. Three-card readings are great. Mm-hmm. Um, in, my, in my deck, in, in the booklet with the deck, I offer a whole range of, you, know, you don't have that, because there's a really good book that comes with this uh, Tarot of the Nine Paths. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I offer about 11 different three-card readings, which I find very effective. Mm-hmm. And too much information can get in the way, often in a reading. Mm-hmm. And uh, three cards in 15 minutes uh, can be a, just a perfectly nice slice. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes too many cards. You know, some readers you know, are doing these 27-card readings, etc. It's like, oh, my God, it's just too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, and you, you can't process it. You can't make the connections. And maybe sometimes later... You know, you'll have this realization of, oh, this connected with that, and I didn't realize that at the time. Or, you know, two minutes after the client's off the tip, you go, oh, I should have said this. Exactly. exactly. Um, you know, hopefully the client will have that realization, you know, right. if that's valid for them. That's right. Um, that's right. Plus, you rarely have enough table space to get that many cards, you know, the whole tarot deck out at once. That's true. Yeah, we have a 10-foot by 10-foot table, and we're going to lay out all 78 cards and <laughs> take three days to do the reading. Right. Um, it sounds exhausting, and I, I'm not sure really how valuable that would be. I, I think... Uh, you know, and I know you've done a lot of readings, you know, if you're working at in a situation where there's a lot of readings, you do one after another. Mm-hmm. And um, really um, doing readings 
should give you energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be exhausting, I know, uh, if it's a really hard reading. and you're, But um, I find that when I'm on a roll and I I'm, I'm really have the right motivation in, in giving readings and there may be 10 people that are waiting in line for a reading, mm-hmm. um, I, 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 for me, it's, it's really very joyful. I, I, somehow it just opens up something in me, and I really am kind of go into a zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the reading space. That reading space. Yeah. That's what I, I try to do is, uh-huh. is, is kind of empty the mind and get really clear on my motivation. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, for, for a reader's standpoint, I, you know, I've been doing this for over 30 years, and I still find every reading I do to be just darn fascinating. Uh-huh. You know, it's just always interesting because it's always unique and original, and the person is unique. And so I, um, I just, I just find this process, and I think probably uh, any tarot, serious tarot person does, it's just extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what cards come out and and how they work with a person's experience, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I think that's a that. Enthusiasm and that interest level also is helpful in uh, instilling the the right conditions for a, a reading to be effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it it helps when you're in the right kind of environment. Um, mm-hmm. We've been very fortunate. Most of the events that we do, even if they're events where alcohol is sold, we don't have a lot of people who are incapacitated. Right. And because I will not read for them. Um, no, no, it's like no, no. Why don't you come back a little bit later and and get a reading? Because they're not in a space to hear it, and you know you don't want to take on that energy. Mm-hmm. And you know if you're spending your whole time shielding yourself from them, well, <laughs> you're not being very effective as a reader. So no, I think that there's you know readings are oh I don't say readings I don't say readings are always accurate, but I say readings are always relevant, mm-hmm. except for uh, so long as one condition is met, and that is. Uh, sincerity. Mm-hmm. You are sincerely engaged in the process. Mm-hmm. If you are, it will be a relevant experience, I can assure you. Yeah. But yeah. the alcohol, I think, kind of really gets in the way of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it turns off certain parts of the brain that really need to be engaged in the process. Right, 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 right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a chemical form of denial. Exactly. So. Um, well, great. Well, thank you so much, Art. This has been fantastic. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of fun. I, I can't believe how the time has flown here. Um, but anyway, so, um, so yeah, so Dr. Art Rosengarten, Tarot of the Nine Paths. Um, Art, do you want to share your website with our readers so right. they can find you? Absolutely. Our listeners. Um, I have two, two websites. Uh, the b- best way to reach me, and, and if you're interested in my books or deck or uh, Tarot Psych, my discussion group, it's artrosengarten.wordpress.com and that would be the one way to reach me. The other would be uh, moonlightcounseling.com uh, mm-hmm. one word, moonlightcounseling which I think is a fantastic name yeah, thank you I, I, I think it just incorporates all these wonderful images and visuals and energies So, great, well thanks so much Art thank you Rose, thank you Andrew thank you, thank, thank you Christoph really thank enjoyed you. it yeah, thank you to all of our listeners. If you have any comments or questions for Dr. Art, you can contact him directly or drop us a note, podcast at tarotpathways.com. If you have suggestions or recommendations for future guests or topics, drop us a note. Let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.